Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast, where you learn what you need to know about how the world wants to work. And now your host, co-working space owner and trend expert, Jamie Russo. Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast. This is your host, Jamie Russo. My guest today is Carl Sullivan. He is a co-working OG. He, his space, which the brand is Your Desk, is about to turn 11 years old at the time of this recording. And Carl mentions in our recording, I did not do the math while we were talking. I only thought about it after the fact. He said he is now 35, so that means he was 24 when he started Your Desk. Is that not amazing? Carl was a builder and a house flipper who picked up on an office sharing trend that he saw happening in Sydney or nearby Sydney at creative agencies and architecture firms. He was looking for something different to do. So he channeled his ideas into your desk and opened his first location outside of Sydney, Australia. Way back then, WeWork had just opened probably its first location in Brooklyn. So these were the early days. His first location was about 26 flex flex desks. Today, his model has a lot more private space. So he shares you know, how his model has evolved over these 11 years, what his locations look like today, um, how he survived COVID, some of the things he's learned, how he's shifting his thinking about marketing. The business is a family business, which is always fun to hear about. So he, I won't spoil it in the intro, but he shares what his team looks like. So he shares his story, his learnings. I think you're going to be really interested to hear how he, you know, approaches his business um, and some of his learnings over the year and just to hear his story. So Carl, thank you for joining us. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Carl. I am here today with a great accent from <laughs> New South Wales, Australia. Carl Sullivan is the co-founder at Your Desk. Carl, thank you for joining me. Morning for you, afternoon thank for me. Yeah. So wait, it's Tuesday for you, Monday for me. Yeah. So yeah. it's Tuesday morning, Monday afternoon for you. Yeah. Um, it's nice to be on part of the world that's like, I struggle being on the West Coast, being an East Coaster. I feel like I'm perpetually behind. Mm. People tell me it's weird, but I wake up and I'm like, people in New York have been working for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> already. <laughs> so you're, you got a, a jump. You're like a day ahead of us, but um, yeah, day and a half ahead. so born and raised uh, in New South Wales or. Yeah. Born and raised in Sydney. And so they just, uh, you know, my parents used to flip houses when I was a kid. So they'd renovate them, sell them, renovate them, sell them. Mm. Um, and that's sort of where I picked up my building skills. And then we lived for two years in Kiev in Ukraine. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I, I was like a teenager, probably 11 to 13 years old. My dad was an accountant at the time. Okay. Um, so we had a bit of an expat life, which was fantastic. Really sad with sort of what's happening there at the moment. So, um, you know, I got friends I went to school with yeah. that are uh, reaching out on socials and letting us know what's happening. So, 
And then after that, we moved home and I just sort of finished schooling in, in Sydney and got a degree in building in Sydney and have been sort of, you know, doing building stuff and co-working stuff ever since. Okay. So how did building get into, what were you building? Uh, so I guess I'd in America probably be called like a large contractor. We basically did project management. So I worked on uh, prisons, schools, hospitals, large scale residential high rise, um, you know, big, like $100 million, $200 million projects. Yeah. Wow. And the kind that was, you drive by and you're like, how do those get done? Those fascinate me. Like the project management that goes into those must be, you know, just yeah. like step by step by step. And somehow. Honestly, we have the same, which was the project's no different to any other, just add a couple of zeros. <laughs> so, okay. you know, a couple of million more in, in funding, couple of hundred more people on site, obviously more materials, but it's essentially just your house times a hundred and that's how you build it. So yeah, it's, uh, it was quite exciting. I loved it, but, um, you know, it got quite boring and quite formulaic. Um, I just sort of kept day to day was doing the same thing over and over and over again. And so I wanted a new challenge and at the time on the side, I was flipping houses. So I'd sort of renovate them and sell them just like my parents did when I was younger um, but that got harder as well, you know, like, um, I actually taught some guys both in my office and some of the trades I worked with started bidding against me at auctions. Cause I had this like, ah! formula. yeah, oh, no, you're a great teacher. <laughs> so it's, um, it quickly turned from something that was quite profitable to something that was a lot harder to do. And so I literally looked around and said, like, I got these skills. I could keep putting them into homes to renovate, but what if I sort of transitioned and maybe put those skills into an office to renovate? So, and at the time my sister was working with an agency and they had, I think 25 desks and they would rent out, you know, for the eight of them to their freelancers. Okay. Just like as a, right. Like a convenient way to have their people nearby. Pretty much wasn't co-working, yeah. but you know, for six hundred dollars a month, they were offering the space in the office, and then there's a synergy there where they sort of pick up more work if they're in there all the time. So, um, I knew that was a business model because I'd seen some architects do something similar in Sydney. Okay, uh, they sort of got together as a collective. I think eight of them had like taken an office and they'd share work between themselves in the office, um, but they were all their own different businesses. Okay, so I had that as my template. And what I thought, year was okay, this? 2011, 2010, 2011. So I started Ooh. your desk in May of 2011. That is early. So, yeah, it's um, it was back in the days we'd have to educate people like what it was, you know, yeah. and um, and how it works, and you know, back then we didn't even do offices because everyone wanted to work together. Um, it was all these people that were a bit lonely that worked at home alone, and they wanted you know social interaction. So our first iteration was just 26 open plan desks. Yeah. That was like Jerome Chang early. Do yep. you know Jerome? Have you have you ever met Jerome? I've met him once or twice briefly. We talk a lot on the Everything Coworking uh, okay. Facebook group, yeah. where, you know, <laughs> trading tips to and fro. Because I think he started around the same time. I mean, not a lot of, that was, when did WeWork start? Their first. WeWork about 10 months earlier than us. Okay. And I think Hub Australia, about the same thing, about a year earlier yeah, than Brad, us. Brad, Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, I can... you know, like I think we were one of the first dozen co-working spaces in Australia. It's very hard to quantify, so don't hold me to that. But okay, that, um, <laughs> you can stake that claim from back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, one quick side note is that 
Um, I used to go to the work tech. Well, I went this year actually. So sometimes I go to the work tech conferences. It's like yep. a kind of a corporate, like workplace strategy kind of crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but they talk about co-working and I went to one in New York. Actually, I might've taken Brad's place. I think Brad was supposed to speak and he couldn't make it. And he slotted me in. So this was maybe like 2013. It was pretty early. But I remember some case studies from Australia and and them talking about Australia being pretty kind of like forward thinking in terms of like real estate and commercial and office. And partly because it was this mindset that like you're so removed that there's like a propensity to like go see all the things that are happening out there and like. Sure. I don't know. Try to be. It was an interesting like mindset, like try to be on the forefront of things. But I'm trying to remember who it was. The case studies, there was a lot of like, right, c- sort of creative use of space happening and sort of sharing. And it was early, earlier than it was being adopted here, like um, activity based working. Sure. I think it was kind of the concept they were talking about. Do you feel do you feel that like? Yeah, I yeah. definitely. Do. So um our biggest telecommunication provider in Australia is Telstra, which is similar, I guess, to AT&T in America. Okay. Um, I remember, I think it was somewhere between 2013, 2015, they switched their entire office to um, activity-based work. And which they was pretty said, early, and, I think, in the brand scheme. Yeah. Totally. I think they partly, because they were telecommunications, you know, they were on the forefront of that sort of like mobile toolkit that they could yeah. give to their employees. Um, but they ended up saying to their employees, look, you can't come in more than two or three days a week unless you have a really good reason. Otherwise, you must stay at home. And so, you know, for such a large corporate company in Australia to start doing that, I think that really flagged to everyone else what was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think then, like, parallel to that is most Australian property markets are like, pick your hottest property market in America. Like let's say LA or yeah. Austin or New York, most Australian capital cities are right up there in terms of affordability. Vacancies yeah. um, low. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we were starting out, we realized pretty quickly that people had two options: they could either rent or get a second bedroom on their mortgage. Generally, they were spending you know another three hundred dollars a week, let's say, for that resource, or they could keep just one bedroom and they could step out of the um, home and then come work with us for, you know, half that $200 a a week. Yeah. So I think that always sort of drove the economics in the early days was people going, look, you know, we need this resource. And also I don't really feel comfortable bringing like a second or third person that I work with into my home. My my extra Uh, bedroom. Right. Yeah. But so, what, yeah, so what is the bar it. to get into real estate though? I mean, that's what I, I find where I am. I'm, so I'm just south of San Francisco and San Francisco CBD is on the struggle bus right now because people just aren't going downtown. Well, they're not going like into the financial district. I think spaces that are neighborhoody are doing better, but you know, the rent is so expensive that it's very hard for an independent operator to start, we were in Palo Alto and our, when our lease was up after seven years, our rent was doubling <laughs> to $70 sure. a square foot. So it's really hard to get in. So is is that the case that you're taking a pretty significant risk to lease the space? 
like yes and no. We signed our second space that we uh, got. We signed that in 2015 on a 10-year agreement. Okay. Um, and so we really locked in some really good pricing that you know really helped us and is still helping us to this day. Um, prices did go up commercially for office space for sure, but you need to sort of match that with what happened with residential property in 2020. It went up 20% in Sydney. Yeah. And in 2021, it went up another 25%. So 45% increase in prices over the last two years. Like people are going insane just to find anything. And I think that's really forcing people to look back at, you know, like having the workplace not in their home. Um, you know, I'm working in my garage because I've literally just bought a house that's frankly a bit too small for us. Um, and so no. it's, the only, it's the only place I've got where I can actually focus and, and have some other kind of, you know, like privacy where I'm doing work without, you know, a two-year-old running up and tapping me going, can you colour in with me? <laughs> uh, Wait, what will you do when it gets cold? Get a space heater? Yeah, just put a jumper on. <laughs> I mean, we're lucky. Sydney, well, I'm not in Sydney. I'm on Lake Macquarie. So I moved out of Sydney okay. uh, halfway through COVID. Okay. Um, but the whole temperature here is is quite southern california okay oh you know it's it's very comfortable okay okay so you so you just saw like kind of a trend when you were early because back then because i start i opened the beginning of 2012 so i signed my lease in 2011 and you would google like there just wasn't stuff online you know it wasn't (laughs) so you just made it up so okay talk about your so yeah tell us about your first location and then did you get to three, but now you're back to one? Sort of. I'll explain it to you. Okay. Walk so we started an area um, on the fringe of the Sydney CBD called Surrey Hills. It was like a sort of trendy factory district um, that had been gentrified. Uh, lots of cool cafes and everything. The first version of it was just 26 open plan desks. Um, and really the, the idea back then was we're not trying to break any records here we're looking for five to ten good companies that's it um if we can five find those five to ten companies we'll be great and at that time i'd also read tim ferris's four-hour work week and i was quite committed to this concept of i could run co-working four hours a week um and so in 20 you thought you were starting a passive business Pretty much. Thought I was starting a passive business, but to my credit, I almost made it work. Okay. I spent three or four months. Uh, I moved six hours south down to the ski slopes in Australia. Okay. Uh, like literally the only place you can ski, and I spent three or four months down there living. And I come back every second week to you know restock the paper and make sure the cleans were done. But otherwise, the guys so they just took care of themselves. Um, in hindsight, that wasn't a great uh, way to approach it because obviously you know people were more and more increasingly looking for, you know, that concierge service. Hospitality, yeah. So yours is more of a self-serve, more like, yeah, sort of like a a more true flex model where it's space on demand, but not really serviced because you were skiing. Yeah. I think that (laughs) worked in part because it was such a small space. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody definitely knew each other. And so any conflicts of the rows could be handled to the between members um, any resources like we, you know, set a pantry up, but they were welcome to go into the pantry, grab what they want. You know, they knew all the cleaning stuff was. We just had a whiteboard managing all meeting room bookings. It was very low tech. That's awesome. <laughs> was it and profitable? Uh, Did you make money on that space? 
yeah, we're making maybe three or four thousand dollars a month. Okay, which seemed like a lot at the time, but now it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a lot if there's any risk, you know, right involved. You can get to get back to break even pretty pretty quickly if people leave. That first iteration was very much a case of I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then literally the weekend I moved back from the ski slopes to Sydney permanently. Um, the guy that had the space next door to us said, look, we're moving out. Um, we've only got six people in this big space. Do you want to take the back half of the office? So we then spent the next couple of months essentially doubling that location and went, well, more than doubling. It went from 26 desks up to 80 desks. Oh. Um, Still open plan? Still open plan. We had one or two offices, um, but everything else was open plan still. And that was, you know, 2013. So once again, the design language hadn't caught up to at least where we are now. Um, And teams were very much looking for cost-effective and flexible options where they could sort of expand their team infinitely. Yep. Uh, And we'd see that time and time again. We'd see one to two-person companies come in, and then by the time they exited out of your desk, they were at... 10, 12, 15 people and, you know, looking for their own space. Or were they mostly tech companies? Like what was the makeup of your membership? No. So we have a lot of tech-focused co-working spaces set up specifically in, in Sydney okay. and some other couple cities in Australia. So they tended to grab the traditional startup ecosystem. And so we were always focused on sort of creative individuals and small-scale professionals, which I think still to this day are sort of underserved, you know. Four-person accounting companies, two-person legal teams, you know, um, three-person recruiting teams, and then you've got agencies of every description, social media agencies, digital agencies, design agencies. Um, So we really just focused on that group. Okay. And we really made the space really inviting so that people would love to bring their clients in. Um, And, you know, especially if you're a creative, you really want to sell that as one of the benefits of the company that you're working with. Um, and what, then what was about what was it about the space that made it compelling to clients or made them feel comfortable? What were some of the things you did? I think the first thing is what we've done in all of our offices, we've got really high ceilings, you know, like we're talking 15 to 25 feet. Mm. Um, and that in itself really sets you apart from I think your average space because you've got vertical space, you've got just a really nice aesthetic. It's a all the like hundred year old buildings that we're in um, and people still to this day love it. I mean, there's a lot of building challenges and a lot of operational challenges around having such an old space. Yeah. Um, but from an aesthetics point of view, it, it really knocked it out of the park every time. Did you design, did you do like the interiors design yourself? So my mom's an interior designer. Ah, the family is like self-sustaining. <laughs> Yeah, so in my family, Design, my dad's build. Um, my mum's an interior designer, my brother and I are both builders, and then my sister is a creative director specializing in events planning. Okay. So um very much leaned heavily on the family, and still to this day, you know, it's a family run and owned business. Uh, okay. and I think that was partly because we had so many complementary skills to sort of put into your desk in the beginning. I love that. How is work how is working with the family? How does that go? It's been it's been challenging and rewarding um, equally. You know, uh, I think with family, you never have to pull punches with what you mean or say. Yeah. 
But I think the downside is sometimes you should probably pull punches with what you mean and say, um, because, you know, you're working with that person and, you know, sometimes you feel so passionately about something and so do they. And if you're in a traditional workplace context, you would definitely find some appropriate languaging to sort of communicate how you feel. But I think with a family setting, that can sometimes uh, get thrown to the side. Uh, I think the other big challenge is, you know, um, I originally founded Your Desk myself and, you know, my mum helped me set it up, but my dad didn't join until a year or two later. My brother didn't join until a year or two later. So, um, you know, it's always been hard sort of like telling my dad what to do. That is something still 10 years later doesn't really come that naturally to me. Uh, right. There's a lot of wiring that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't tell dad what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've gotten to a nice happy medium. Even to this day, I don't call him dad at work. I call him by his, his first name, Neil, because people get really confused. They're like, I get it. But like that person you're talking about, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just simple things like that. But it's been really rewarding. And, you know, um, especially having young kids, nobody understands that better than my dad. And he's thrilled to always let me sort of have some extra time off if I've missed being with the kids. Yeah. Um, and you know, vice versa, he'll also take them if like, you know, if the kids are sick and my wife can't not go to work, I can just bring them with me to the office and one of us can take care of them. And that's really nice. Wait, are kids in general allowed in your space? Can members bring kids? Yes. Within reason. Kids and dogs have essentially the same policy, which is so long as they are well-mannered and don't impact on the professional, uh, professionalism of the office then we're more than happy to have them so generally speaking we'll see you know one or two kids in during school holidays maybe in a meeting room watching a movie we're fine with that you know um i don't think that takes away from the experience at all if you're just a person coming in for a meeting Mm -hmm. totally hey i just wanted to jump in really quickly before we continue with our discussion If you're working on opening a co-working space, I want to invite you to join me for my free masterclass, three behind the scenes secrets to opening a co-working space. If you're working on opening a co-working space, I want to share the three decisions that I've seen successful operators make when they're creating their co-working business. The masterclass is totally free. It's about an hour and includes some Q&A. If you'd like to join me, you can register at everythingcoworking.com forward slash masterclass. If you already have a co-working space, I want to make sure you know about Community Manager University. Community Manager University is a training and development platform for community managers, and it can be for owner operators. It has content training, resources, templates from day one to general manager. The platform includes many courses that cover the major buckets of the community manager role from community management, operations, sales and marketing, finance, and leadership. The content is laid out in a graduated learning path. So the community manager can identify what content is most relevant to them, depending on their experience and kind of jump in from there. We provide a live brand new training every single month for the community manager group. We also host a live Q&A call every single month so that the community managers can work through any challenges that they're having or opportunities, um, get ideas from other community managers, build their own peer network. We also have a private Slack group for the group. So if you're interested in learning more, you can go to everythingcoworking.com forward slash community manager. Okay. So first desk expanded 
Um, your we'll link to your space in the show notes, by the way. It's beautiful. Yeah. The, I mean, I can from the pictures. I'd love to visit someday, but um, okay. So expansion, then what? Well, we really just kept expanding based off the money we earned. We were very much a sort of a bootstrapped company. Wow. Um, so we took a second location in Sydney CBD in 2015. Okay. Um, which was three floors, 900 square meters. I think it's 9,000 square feet, give or take. Yep, roughly, yep. Um, in 2018, we then took three more floors in the building next door to ours. Okay. Um, and that was also about another, you know, 9,000 square feet. Wow. And at that point, we were starting to get smarter with our design. So, you know, we started to have a lot more offices, like sort of 60, 70% offices, 30% open plan. Okay. Space. I mean, I love that your first locations worked with open plan. They stopped working was the problem. Okay. Um, I was going to say, for uh, anybody listening, right, that generally doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> I get very anxious. Somebody emailed me recently and wanted to do only open plan. And I was like, I cannot support that. I I'm not going to answer any more questions, but you cannot do only open plan. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's not to say that it can't work, but you've really got to have something unique and special about what you're selling and what you're providing to make that a feature. Otherwise, especially post COVID people just want private space and there's just, there's nothing around it. Um, you know, we, our 2018 expansion was just larger offices. It's literally a hundred percent um office space okay and it was around that time we realized our very first location on the city fringe wasn't working um we weren't finding the people people it was getting tired as well you know it was like seven or eight years old so we're getting to that point where we need to sort of like reinvest another couple hundred thousand to like redo everything you know that's the trick with the 10-year lease isn't it because at some point, yeah, you gotta you gotta refresh and have budgeted for that, and you know, yeah, like the furniture we had seven years. The furniture was generally good, but like the carpets and you had to paint, you know, a lot of yeah, and just things change, right? Aesthetics change, preferences change. You get sick of the space. I was like, no more orange chairs. I can't take it. <laughs> yeah. I think also sometimes you can see a little problem and go, oh, I'll get to that. And, you know, like sometimes it's a year before you go, that problem I've seen for a year, I really need to fix because I'm slacking. So, but no, so 2018, we actually um, decided to sublet that first co-working location, um, which was about mid-2018. And we found one company to take it. Um, we had back-to-back -back agreements between our head lease and then the sublease, so we had no risk involved. And um, that worked out fantastically because, as you know, that was nine months before COVID kicked off. And that's – it was about 20% of our cash flow, but that really locked it in and made it a lot more stable. Um, and we had a really good base to ride through the next couple of years with COVID. So really um, was very happy we did that, especially for such an underperforming asset. And um, – I don't think we'll turn it back into a co-working space again. So you still, but you're still it now in the CBD. Yeah. So okay. we you still have 1800 square meters. So 18,000 square yep. feet of co-working space in the city. Yep. Um, we have opportunities to take, I think four more floors in our building at the moment. So we're, you know, talking to the landlord about, 
what that looks like. And hey, by the way, have you heard of this thing called management agreements? Maybe uh, we could do something there instead and renegotiate everything. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's been equal parts challenging and exciting to sort of see co-working sort of evolve and, and really, I don't want to be dramatic, but sort of Phoenix out of COVID to be this thing that has gone from, you know, a thing we used to have to teach people about to like the most desirable sort of subsector of commercial real estate now. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. Amazing. Um, or zoom. So the CB, the decision to be in a CBD has not been an issue post COVID. It has been at times. It's okay. not like, um, we didn't have our challenges. Yep. Um, what did I your occupancy do during COVID? Did it? We, so we had two main lockdowns. We had one in 2020 um, where our government said, basically, if you can work from home, you must work from right. home. Yeah. Um, it was quite strict. Yeah. And that was from, I think, May till about October. And then again, from like July through till December, we had essentially that same thing in 2021. Um, so during those times, we had a couple of large businesses stay with us, which was really fortunate. I'm, I'm still to this day very thankful for their support. Um, and, you know, it, we went down to sort of 35% at some points, um, and then we'd sort of chip back up to 50 or 60%, and the second lockdown would come, and we went back down to 35 um, It seemed, though, like we had sort of a, a really core group of people who were staying with us, um, but I even feel then their patience was starting to get thin towards the end of 2021. I'm sure. So, so were you still paying, were you paying rent during the lockdowns? Uh, the Australian government had a thing in place where landlords were forced to come to the table and drop down their rent um, in line with what your turnover was from like, say that month compared to that month in 2019. Okay. So if you lost income, they had to feel that. If you didn't, then- So what happened yeah. was, for example, one month we lost 70% of income compared to that period in 2019. Yeah. So we got our rent reduced by 70%. Okay. Then of that reduction, half of it was waived completely by the landlord. They couldn't get that back. Okay. The other half was deferred, which meant that we had, your desk had to pay for it at some point in the future. Okay. Um, so what's effectively happened is we've got like a, let's call it an interest-free loan for a two to three year period, okay. you know, but for your desk, we're coming out of it with, you know, at least a quarter of a million dollars in, in additional debt that we never, we never budgeted for. Yeah. Um, and that's really difficult because there are expansion opportunities, but also we need to, you know, honor the, the debts yeah. that we sort of built up over COVID and we're trying to find that balance. Yeah. Wow. Although. It does seem like a reasonable approach to ask the landlord to sort of share in the pain. But if a company didn't lose revenue, I would hear that from folks in the business who were also landlords and they'd say, well, I have, I know I have tenants that didn't lose revenue, but they're yes. not paying. <laughs> so, but still, wow. So you mentioned, you know, potentially looking at a way to partner with the landlord. And I would guess Part of that is like, right, how do we sort of come out of this together? I remember Brad saying um, from Hub Australia that, you know, you made the point earlier in our conversation that vacancy rates were so low that mm. there was just no interest in nope. management agreements. No, thank you. I have a high credit tenant that would gladly pay for the space. Has that shifted post-COVID? What's, 
What do you think the temperature on that? I heard some funny stories prior to COVID that, you know, um, you know, a hundred year old beautiful building is like say 50,000 square feet. You'd have five to 10 co-working spaces all submitting offers to take that building. Um, so of course they weren't going to be that flexible because they, the demand was through the roof. Right. I think partly through that process I explained with sort of how landlords had to negotiate with uh, tenants during COVID. That's really, to me, at least for the Australian market, opened up this thought that, you know, landlords do and should have to share some of that pain, whether the government says so or not. Yeah. And I think the the robust benefits that co-working brings in almost any market except for like, you know, lockdowns can really take a building and maybe shift the risk profile from what you typically see on your average uh, commercial real estate to the holding. So we're really saying, look, you know, we've already got this framework in place where we've been uh, adjusting our rents according to our performance. Um, we'd like to consider do something like that in the future, but obviously make it advantageous to you. So generally speaking, will never happen. Yeah. And then as a part of that, you know, um, we've got this sort of new facility in place that is has different demand curves, have has different offerings, even has different customer base. And so our income as a space is protected and therefore your investment in our space is protected. And we really think it's something you should consider. Yeah. So are you thinking about working with the landlord to be a like kind of a broader amenity for the built? So you're in two buildings that are next to each other. We're in two buildings next to each other. Um, if we took all the spaces in our primary building where our reception is, yep. we would have access to a ground floor, which would be great. People could just walk straight in off the street. Yeah. Have access to a rooftop, which would be great. We could have events and, and community yeah. stuff in the evenings. Um, and more importantly, with the exception of one other floor, we'd actually have the whole building. Oh wow! Okay, it's a smaller building, mm-hmm. um, and I think by default, you know, we will eventually sort of just be managing the building because yeah. we've got You'll the whole building. Yeah, yeah, which will bring some interesting flexibility in terms of yeah, what you do with the space and. Will you, um, so then you have a space next door. Have you, have you thought about the, like the HQ model? Sort of the, like, we'll take, you know, 2000 feet and give it to one company. Yeah. There's a lot of those companies already doing that. Okay. Like. You feel like that's not sort of a point of, you like the sort of smaller spaces, higher service. Yeah. I also, I've always thought about, you know, this concept of sticking to your knitting. Um, We've got a lot of big companies, venture-backed companies in Australia. So there's the Hub, WeWork, Tusco, Commons, um, Surfcorp, Regis. They're all super. Surfcorp is an Australian company. Yeah, Surfcorp is an Australian company. Okay. Yep. Um, We've got all these companies that have gone the venture-backed route and have millions of dollars to deploy, and they're doing that. Let's say 100 person plus enterprise space. Yeah. Perfectly. Yeah. We don't have the team or the resources or, frankly, the the know-how to sort of pull that off. Um, our biggest office is 30 people. Okay. So, but still 30 is... 30 is fine, but, like, 30, I could still know everyone's name in a 30-person office. In a 100-person office, that's not happening. Yeah. Um, I know Brad had mentioned that, and Brad's been on the podcast. It's been a very long time. Um, but, yeah, that it's really different when you 
go to significant scale. It's yeah. just a, a different business. Yeah. Different, different base entirely. Then in addition to that, we never built one or two person offices. Okay. So the first office you can get in our space is a four person office. Okay. Um, and that's a huge missed opportunity. So we literally want to go and take floors and just turn them into one, one. two and six person offices because that's really where um that's where the most demand in the Australian yeah. market seems to be. I know. Be. No, that is everywhere. Actually, I have another podcast interview later this week. And my question to that, and I'll ask you since you're, you know, I assume you manage your build outs. Mm-hmm. I mean, the trick with that is that build out gets expensive really quickly. Yep. Yeah. A lot of walls, electrical, HVAC, <laughs> all the things. But you would still do it because the demand is makes sense. For a couple of reasons. The demand makes sense. Also, it's a segment of sort of the Australian co-working marketplace that we're not capturing at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I really think that had we've had one-person offices at the end of lockdown, they literally would have been the first to go. Yeah. Um, and so our recovery might have been a little bit faster yeah. Yeah. Um, if we had that. Yeah. You know, so I think to anyone thinking about, you know, should I, shouldn't I think about all the money that you're losing having, you know, a 30 person office available for six months. We've had whole floors during COVID that haven't been touched for 18 months because, you know, nobody was interested in in bigger spaces. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm impressed with your recovery given that your office has started for, we learn, right. I know you've seen such a, I mean, starting with full open plan and then 10, 12 years later, you know, uh, will be next we're month. going all one person offices. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So you have to be willing to, you've, you've been in for, um, for quite a ride. Mm. Um, okay. So you, let's see what, so office. Okay. I'm looking at, uh, my list of questions for you. What does, so you mentioned, um, So you mentioned, you know, being inspired by Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week and coming back every other week or so to manage the space. I'm um, interested to know now that you have, you know, roughly 18,000 square feet, um, what does your team look like? How do you, how do you manage the space? Um, Yeah. How has that evolved? I'm guessing it maybe shrunk a little bit through COVID or not. Yeah. I mean, we've got, Two and a half people running the whole thing. Okay. You keep it super um, lean. Yeah. So, you know, my mom's on board. She she manages a lot of the cleaning, a lot of the design, a lot of the styling. Okay. Um, so just keeps an eye to make sure that we keep a high standard. Yeah. And then day to day, it's just my dad and I sort of running the space. Um, we're still a very low touch self-service space. Okay. Um, we've set our pricing accordingly. And I think that's one of the things that we're sort of unique in the market. Yep. Lots of people throwing lots of money into high-end amenities and coffee shops and all this sorts of thing, yep. which is great. I love it. But um, that doesn't mean there's not a the market for other people that, you know, just want something a little simpler. So you you guys, between you and your dad, you handle yep. marketing, lead gen, tours, operations, all the things. Yep. Yeah. Everything. 
everything, accounting, um, you know, space management, maintenance. I'm even putting on my tool belt on the weekends and going and patching walls. And Mom makes you a list. And <laughs> pretty much. Take yeah. care of it. <laughs> well, so I live two hours away, so I've actually got okay. a place in oh, wow. Sydney. Okay. And I've got my home two hours north. Okay. So when I'm in Sydney, I work from sort of like 7 in the morning. Super dedicated, yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, I just punch it all out. And then when I'm at home, I, you know, that gives me the, the space to go. I've done a really good job. I can relax here. Yeah. I kind of love that. So I also love, I think you're a great case study for knowing like who you serve, how to set up the space to do that and what your team looks like and what, you know, it's aligned. It's all aligned. Yeah. Over the years, I have been prone to overpromising multiple different times and almost always it blows up in my face. Um, you know, don't write a check that you can't cash. Yeah. It's it's really difficult because once you've disappointed them, you need to work doubly as hard to get back to where you started, essentially. Um, and so over the years, I think just us saying no or being really realistic with our capacity has been really helpful in, in sort of guiding us out of some sticky situations. So how do you um, attract your members? What does your lead gen look like? How do, how do, you, how do they find you? Sure. We have a couple of methods. Um, we still to this day, we've never done any sort of social media advertising. Um, Wait, actually- do you do social organic social? You don't do social. Not we're um, very bad on social. No, it's so interesting. I love that you're just like throwing that out there. You know, I tell I you spend- what, you can go on my Instagram account right now, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure the last post was 2018. <laughs> it's not something I'm proud of, and I'm getting people involved to help me. I, um, well, would tell me about that. Do you think that there is a missed opportunity, or do you just feel like you should? I don't know. Like we. I know a lot of people use Instagram for sort of like checking out the portfolio, so to yeah. speak, yep. you know, seeing how a business is interacting. Yep. Um, but, you know, around the time we had an agency take care of it for us and they did a terrible job. Yeah. Um, and they were really expensive, I bet. Generic. Unless it was your sister. Like, let's know. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, it was just a, it was a company who was in the space at the time right. and they had friends that, that did this sort of thing. So it was just a bit generic, just a bit basic. Yes. Um we as the owners weren't passionate about it. So we weren't interacting with anybody in any way. And I think going back to what I was talking about, it's one of those things, if you're not doing it well, sometimes it can work against you. Um, so we've typically just done advertising with real estate agents that are sort of work local in the area. And a lot of them in Australia now understand co-working. Yeah. Um, so a lot of commercial agencies. Again, you're on the forefront because ours don't. No, sorry to anybody listening who's a broker who does. <laughs> but you, yeah, they know so they're like, in the minority. <laughs> a lot of large commercial leasing agents have a co-working arm now. They have one or two people that do the exact same thing yeah. but small scale. Yeah. Um, so we've been working with, you know, let's say a dozen different companies so they're helping us refer leads in. Um, we have, you pay, do you pay a commission for that? Yeah, it's usually around 10 to 15% of whatever the, the contract value is. Yeah. Um, we also just have our own website, which performs reasonably well, performs better than it should, once again, given the amount of effort I put into it. Um, you, although um, you have the benefit of longevity. Yes. Yeah, which yes. helps. 
So we're, um, you know, really looking into sort of doubling down with uh, a lot of the Google sort of stuff. So yeah. Google reviews, yeah. um, you know, making sure we're answering calls that are coming in off Google, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Do you run ads or no no ads, just SEO? I'm running any Organic. ads. Organic, yeah. So, uh, and, you know, that in itself sort of picked up uh, the space from like 30 to 80%. Yeah. And then I think the other two really big things was we just kept touching base with our, you know, existing membership base and said, we've got more space available. What are your plans? Um, and a lot of them just upgrade. And so, you know, we play with a Tetris, uh, a 10 goes to a 15 and a six goes to a 10 and then a four goes to a six and then everybody's happy. Um, but, uh, you know, we've turned all our open plan desks now into hot desks. We put 27 inch monitors on them. So, um, I think for the first time ever, we've actually got a, a product that could really benefit from proper advertising on social channels to, uh, you know, communicate the benefits. Yeah. So I, but I think it's interesting. You sort of 80, 20, your marketing, you're like, look, we're going to get most of our leads yep. organically or referrals or through internal growth, right? Like that's the best when you can just sell more to current members. I, you know, the, Co-working spaces, I think, tend to take social very seriously. And I it can be important, but I also do think, you know, I ran a space in downtown Chicago, and I just felt like this little like cog in a very big wheel. And I, you know, I think social can be really critical when you're in a smaller town. Um and you're really interacting with other local businesses, and it's like there's a real community like connection to the outside community, I think it can be hard to feel that and to feel like it matters a lot when you're in a big city. I mean, what I've learned over the years is whatever you do, you just have to be really authentic about it. Yeah. Um, every time we haven't been authentic, that person leaves within six to 12 months. Yeah, they don't, they're just not aligned. It's not a that. Prior to COVID, we used to track sort of our customer lifetime value mm-hmm. and customer lifetime sort of, time spent in the space and it was over 40 months wow the average average client um and so that meant that we also we weren't having to replace them every 12 to that is a big deal isn't it in this business i was the gwa did a marketing um a sales topic for one of their webinars recently and I, i didn't make it live but i was listening to it after the fact and you know, they were talking about sales and CRMs and their processes. And, you know, Kane Wilmot, who's a great operator, said they're, you know, they're basically turning their business every year. Yep. Which it's is com- right. Like you got to have a serious marketing engine for that. And so if you've got people staying for 40 months, that's amazing. Well, also uh, think of this, Jamie. So when you get a new employee on, everybody knows that takes, let's say, three to six months to get that person really up to speed. Yeah. The same thing with a member. You know, when they join your space, it takes six to 12 months for them to really get comfortable with everything and how it works. But if that member's been there for five, six years, it's mm, so, so good. Yeah. And it really adds to the community. It makes it really authentic because they've literally lived in that space for, you know, half a decade. Right. So you benefit from that too, because even though you have a lot of private space and you're not especially high touch, you have like this organic long-term community <laughs> that probably knows each other, each other. Because I've been in the space for, you know, five years each and, yeah. and it's fantastic. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So since your mom is the designer, I didn't confirm this before we talked, but I heard you mention on a call 
like one of your strategies about offering some custom design for your offices. Can you talk about that? Yeah, we, I think going off, uh, you know, companies staying so long, they're going to be in the space. Uh, we'd love to see them make their own investment to sort of their immediate workspace. It works generally with offices only. Yeah. Um, but anything we can do to make them feel more comfortable, to make it feel more customizable is great. So, you know, uh, like I said, I'm often there after hours hanging up TVs for clients. Um, we'll often source some fake plants or, you know, a bookshelf and we'll style it nicely. Often the company has their own ideas and they'll, they'll brand it inside. They'll, you know, set their desks up with even simple stuff like uh, monitor stands and everything that they need to make themselves feel really comfortable. Um, and, you know, that's sort of doubled down recently because everybody's Zooming and, you know, if you're a professional profo- uh, approaching this professionally, what you want to do is have a beautiful background. Yeah. Uh, you know, not my garage. But- <laughs> right. <laughs> Although um, it is a unique background. It's memorable. It is definitely a unique background. I, look, you know, like this background, it uh, has a lot of interest. It's not just a white wall. I think that yep. white wall is probably totally the white wall. I totally agree. I see a lot of white walls in photos. I think the styling makes such a difference. We had I had a member who um, in Houston, and she she's like, I can't move this office. And finally, she painted it a really bright color. But she styled it, and she's like, sold, done. You know, it just took a little. So do you take custom, how do you, do you charge for custom design requests or how do you manage that? It depends. Being a very small company, we can be quite flexible and we don't necessarily have to have these like corporate rules yeah. that govern sort of how we operate. Um, so for example, if somebody wants a whiteboard and I've got a whiteboard in storage, I'll just give them the whiteboard. Yeah. Um, if somebody's after something a little bit more complex or a little bit more involved, and we just sit down and we work out a price. And if that's something that they're willing to pay, then we set it up. You know, we've done $30,000, $40,000 fit outs for sort of clients that really wanted to make it special. And then we've had others that are like, can you just hang this one picture or this one decal on the wall? Yeah. Um, so it's a pretty big gamut. So the bigger build outs, do you then ask them to commit to a term? Yeah, always. I think always be clear with sort of what you're doing in terms of uh, wherever you've got services being exchanged for money. Yeah. Be really clear. Contract does nothing but help. It just says, this is what I'm promising in exchange. This is what you're promising. And if we both do everything right, we don't even need this piece of paper. Um, but, you know, it uh, fit outs is complex. And sometimes I think the most complex thing is actually communicating what you want versus what you get. Um, and so trying to make that process as clear as possible really sort of mitigates the risks involved in it. Yeah. How long are your typical, do you require um, a year when someone takes an office or what are, what are your terms? We used to. Um, since COVID hit, everything's been month to month. Uh, we're actually looking at July sort of like coming back into a lot of the things we used to do before COVID. So uh, we used to have pricing discounts if they're on 12-month agreements be yeah. about 10 15 percent yeah um and if they wanted to go month to month super happy for them to do so it's just a slightly higher rate is all so we're bringing that back in um we used to do 15 percent off for everything if they were 12 months and we typically wouldn't sign longer than 12 months because 
there was just no benefit there really. Um, pricing stayed very consistent in Australia for a number of years. I think it'll start to spike now that demand's grown so much. Um, and we'd like to have that flexibility to really move with the market because it's yeah. been tough the last couple of years. It's, yeah, t- exactly. Yeah, and certainly, right, not taking pricing on renewals. But even though, okay, so you used to require a year, yeah. um, but people were staying longer. So they were just sort of auto-renew. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, just the contract would roll over to a new agreement. Um, easy to write and easy to enforce. Do you, I have to ask a t- tactical question because everybody always wants to know, do you use a space management platform like an office R&D or a? Yeah. Uh, having two of us has been really important because, you know, we don't have the resources to to follow up everything ourselves. So we've got office R&D, which is the main system. And then we've just clipped a bunch of stuff onto office R&D to just sort of like build it out a bit further. Yeah. So, um, you know, we used to have direct debit. We get 80% of our income on the first of the month for that month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anybody who doesn't do that, I I think it's totally crazy. (laughs) No. I'd run your desk for the entire, like, sort of nine years before COVID that way, very used to it. And then we decided when COVID hit, everybody was a bit iffy about their cash flow, so we turned it off. Okay. And our accounting got really tricky and really messy. And I was like, people and did these guys pay? And yeah. Yeah. So we're we're now, once again, we're actually looking at switching providers, but we're going back to a direct debit system. Um, We're going to go back to automatic contracts on hosted on Office R&D. We're going to go back to, you know, all the bills being processed through Office R&D. We've got uh, Easy, which manages our printing software. Um, we have uh, Package Zen, which manages sort of reception packages coming Ooh, in and out. Package Zen, okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Office r and D's built out new, like the reception app as well, so that people can notify guests when they're downstairs. So, um, and we've got, you know, beautiful iPads on every meeting room, and it makes it so easy and so clear to see what's available um, and when they need it. Yeah. Um, what about door access? What do you use for door access? Most of our access, most of our offices aren't lockable. Oh, at all? At all. We oh. had, so we ordered these sliding doors. I didn't realize at the time sliding doors, a lot harder to lock than. Oh my uh, gosh, they're totally harder to lock. Yeah. I didn't know that either. I had some startup school students who did the yeah. sliding doors and tried to salto, you know, use salto. And it's like, they had a lot of trouble with those. Mm. It wasn't a big deal. We figured out you can just have a sort of a pin drop into the ground, a pin drop into the ceiling, and then the door locks. Yeah. And then during the fit-out process, we found out that we had asbestos flooring all throughout the space. And so all of a sudden, we couldn't fix anything to the flooring at all. So we just don't offer it. And, you know, we do lose some clients because of that. Um but uh, everyone else, like the floors are lockable. You know, we've got keyed access to every floor. And because we've got multiple floors, we can have just one as the sort of uh, the reception area where there's public access and everything else is private access right. only. So it's just members only. Yeah. yeah. Which so it's, it's really mitigated from that point of view. And we're not very concerned about it. And neither are our members. Yeah. Well, especially those that have been there for a long time, it probably just becomes like, yeah, it's fine. Something In 10 years. I've had two people claim that something was stolen and they found it. Yeah. And we, and we had one break in. Oh. 
where like four or five things were taken. I, ironically, they don't take iPhones, iPads, computers anymore. They're all too trackable. It was just oh. headphones and a bottle of scotch. You know, we replaced it all for like 500 bucks. Wow. So. Um, wait, I want to go back to your expansion because one of the hmm. things that some, you know, folks struggle with is funding expansion. You Did you fund mostly with cash flow? Like you just kind of wait until you could do the next one. And then when you had three locations, did you ever, did you have a community manager at the open plan location that's not in the CBD or was that still, was that kind of self-serve? Okay. We, they were close enough. They were like within a 10, maybe 15 minute walk from each other. So it was quite easy to go from one location to the other. Uh, We generally have someone there from like say 10 until two every day, but probably not full time. Yeah. Um, and you know, given the way we'd built that community out over years, everyone was fine with that. Yeah. It worked. Yeah. Yeah. The staffing, the humans, it's one thing to be able to invest in a build out and then another to add people, um, as you expand and then you've not ever run ads. So your marketing's always been organic, which I feel like is lucky. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't try this at home for anybody listening. (laughs) Look, it's been very lucky. And, you know, every time I've gotten close to running ads, we've just picked up a big client. And then it happens and you're like, okay. Yeah. Um, But I am very aware of the fact that probably some of the other people in the Australian co-working market have bounced back faster because of ads. Um, And it's something I wish I'd focused on probably six months ago to sort of understand and get ready for this period now. Always evolving, Carl. You, I mean, after you said 11, you're turning 11 soon. Uh, 11 next month. Okay. So, right. So you got to have some challenge left to, so, I mean, that's a maybe a good question to end on is um, what's next. You talked about maybe management agreement, maybe, yeah, take over the building, any additional locations, or are you going to kind of stick to your knitting as you yeah, I think it's taken me 10 or 11 years to figure this out, but it's, um, does it feel us, like it's been like a day? I mean, does it, has it just gone so fast? Depends on the day. It feels like Ooh. either a day or a lifetime. <laughs> so Good point, especially through COVID. Yeah. Well, you know, like I'm only 35 people my age, they don't stay in jobs for 10 years. No. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and that honestly, that was why my brother left. He was like, I've been here for, for seven or eight years. I, I want a different challenge. You know, he's, he's three or four years younger than me. He's like, I'm done. I want to go do my own thing. He started up his own building company now, working with events uh, producers. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it happens all the time. But, you know, I've always been really passionate about co-working. Um, I found a very, you know, I had mental health problems for the first time during COVID, which I sort of struggled with because I've always been really optimistic about the industry. And, uh you know, so they're coming around the other side again. I've started reconnecting with the community, and I think that's been something that I've missed. Um, I noticed it once a couple of years ago. hadn't been to a Juicy in a couple of years, and I was getting into a bit of a funk. And literally, by the time I came back, I was so full of energy. I was ready to take on the world. Um, and then we had the same thing in Australia. We just launched the uh, Flexible Workspace Association. I'm going to ask Australia. you to talk about that, because for anybody listening who's in, I'm guessing word of mouth is fairly well australia is a really big country 
yeah. from a, yeah. So maybe word of mouth isn't as easy as I, as I think, but yeah, share a little bit about that. Cause I know Fiona was spearheading that, right? Yeah. yeah. We look, we had some of the best minds in, in co-working in Australia sort of like come together. Um, we, I'd been a part of two other attempts previously, and I don't think there was the right mix. And I think everybody finally understood what we wanted the association to be, what its goals were, and how that would help all of us. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's been fantastic. We've only been going, uh, I think we launched at the start of this year, or September last year we launched. Um, so it's still quite new. But, uh, you know, we're tackling it from a bunch of different angles, uh, resources for sort of people within co-working to, to make them better, uh, you know, working with government, working with industry to make sure that they understand sort of what we're doing um, and, you know, really shaping the narrative of our industry and uh, and how it's perceived by the wider market. I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. And a new challenge for somebody who's and been doing this for 11 years. A new challenge. And as an aside <laughs> for me, it was the first opportunity since COVID hit to really reconnect with my peers. And, yeah. you know, I uh, bounced out of my funk and that was fantastic. So it's co-working um, it's where it can be for, for owners can be lonely. Very lonely. Yeah. Very you're lonely. in your garage. I mean, I know, <laughs> I know yeah, you were running I, this space for a month, so you're just taking a break, but yeah, it's a, it's a strange, um, it's ironic. Yeah, a lot of your members aren't necessarily your peers because right. you're on, on a different level. Different so relationship, um, yeah. You know, there are very few people that I can sort of go to and say, I had this problem or, hey, isn't this funny? Right. Um, really understand my perspective on, on the matter. So, Yeah, you're the owner. Well, Carl, thank you for sharing your story and some of your learnings. And um, I think just people love hearing other people's stories and how they approach their business and, um, I'm always so grateful when people are willing to share. So thank you for taking the time to do that. Thank you for having me. Like I said, it's been a real pleasure. I've been listening to you for years and uh, really excited to be a part of it. Yeah, thank you. Hey there. Thanks for sticking with us through the end of the episode. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please go leave us a review it helps other folks find the podcast who are thinking about starting a co-working space or already operating a co-working space and are looking to stay up to speed on tips and trends. And we started a YouTube channel. We'd love to have you catch us on video. You can join us for podcast videos and Q&A videos and other things that we post to the channel. We'd love to see you there.